Good afternoon or good evening, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles. Whenever you're looking at this or watching this, certainly send greetings to you from where I will be for the Feast of Tabernacles this year, and that is in Kenya, East Africa. When we think about the Feast of Tabernacles, and when we read about the Feast of Tabernacles, there is an element that we so often just read over without focusing upon. And that's the area I would like to focus upon in this sermon uh, to you today. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23, where the Eternal gave Moses the instructions about the Feast of Tabernacles, the very first instructions that are given to us within God's Word. Notice verse 42 of that chapter. The instructions, of course, are given starting in verse 39, and you will be well aware of those. In verse 40, if I can back up a moment, it said, The first day, you will take for yourself on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of the palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of a brook, and you shall rejoice before the eternal seven days. And you shall keep it as a feast to the eternal for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You will celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israels or Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the eternal your God. So on the very first day of the feast, Israel were to take various branches from trees, uh, from the palm trees, from the uh, beautiful trees, the leafy trees, the willow, the book, brook, as well as fruit trees, the orange, the citron or lemon, citrus trees, and so forth. And they were to use those branches throughout the seven days as a temporary dwelling. Now, we're very much aware that the idea of tabernacles is about temporary dwellings. But for Israel, keeping the feast, they had to do something with those branches. They had to build something. And, of course, you can go on the Internet and you can find all sorts of photographs today or artwork of what are called Sukkot, the tabernacles in which Jews today celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They don't live in it the whole time, but it is used as a place for a family gathering, maybe for meals, etc. If one were to go to Jerusalem, one would find the, uh, the balconies of the apartments festooned at this time with forms of Sukkot's as people seek to uh, abide by this instruction of God. And so uh, I have in front of me a, a rather colorful uh, rendition of a Sukkot, and it says, Sukkot is the Jewish holiday where you leave your house and do some camping. It's a mitzvah, a good deed, to eat out in the sukkah. So uh, you build yourself a sukkah, which is the singular of sukkot, and uh, you eat in it the various meals of a day. 
It's also a mitzvah to sleep, a good deed to sleep in the sukkah. When we spend time in the sukkah, we remember ancient times when Jews used to camp out. And they conclude by saying, another sukkah mitzvah or good deed is owning, blessing, carrying, and waving the etrog and the luva, the the, uh, branches of the trees that are mentioned. And so Israel are very uh, uh, focused upon that. We obviously look on our feast accommodation as being a temporary dwelling. Uh, For some of the brethren around the world, they stay in tents. Many of the brethren in Kenya will be staying in tents. And, of course, as you appreciate, a tent is a very temporary dwelling. None of us wish to remain in a tent for a year-long activity or make it a home for a year. We prefer something a little more permanent than that. And so the instruction regarding the building of tabernacles was something to look back at the temporary dwellings they had in the wilderness. And of course, we are in a spiritual wilderness at the present time. Our homes, as permanent as they might seem to be, are very temporary dwellings in terms of the promised land we look forward to reaching. Very important for us to realize. But the uh, starting point looks back. You might say in terms of a present. People look at their feast accommodation in appropriately the same way as being something temporary as they look forward to the real permanence of the kingdom of God. And that's highly appropriate. But I'd like to focus your attention on the fact that here we have in the instructions for the Feast of Tabernacles, the very first indication that the Feast of Tabernacles was to be a time of building. The ingredients for the Sukkot that Israel were to build at that period of time were to be taken during the Feast of Tabernacles. Obviously, some people may have collected them beforehand, but the erecting of the Sukkah by a family would have been done on the very first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles becomes associated with building. And that is something that we need to focus on today. Because while we can look back on our temporary dwellings and we can look back on this world, just as Israel looked back on its wilderness experience, so what lies ahead and what is contained within the Feast of Tabernacles for each and every one of us is so much greater. And it's on that that I wish to focus today. The interesting thing about the Feast of Tabernacles is that this is not the only occasion on which the feast is associated with building. We'll find as we go through the Old Testament that frequent references are made to the aspect of building during the Feast of Tabernacles period. And so we find uh, the uh, aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles being associated with King Solomon and the completion of the first temple, Solomon's temple. If we go to Second Chronicles, 
and we will uh, spend a little time in in Second Chronicles today. But let's go to Second Chronicles chapter seven, and uh, we find in chapter seven it is the dedication of the temple by Solomon. And so we find in verse 1 that when Solomon had finished praying, and of course we can go and we can read through chapter 6, which is well worth your while doing as you have time. Uh, As Solomon prayed before the eternal at the time of the dedication of the temple. And here he was dedicating the altar. And so in verse 1 it said, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the eternal filled the temple. So here we have an account just as happened at the dedication of a tabernacle in the book of Exodus, and you might say a type of what happened again a little later at the time of Elijah, when Elijah called the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel and called down fire from heaven. On this occasion, Solomon prayed, And when he finished his prayer, the Eternal sent down fire from heaven to consume the offering. It said the priests could not enter the house of the Eternal because the glory of the Eternal had filled the house. And the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and his glory of the Eternal on the temple. They bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the eternal. And so their response uh, to the eternal is given. And so the king and all the people made sacrifices. The eternal provided the, the uh, uh, fire. Let's come down to verse 8. At that time, at this time, at the time of the dedication of the temple, and you can go back to First Kings chapter 7 and 8 to find the parallel account of this in that time. So at that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days. And all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath uh, to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly. For they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And then in verse 10, we find that on the 23rd day of the uh, 7th month, he sent the people away unto their tents. They sent them back to their homes, joyful and glad of heart, for the goodness that the Eternal had shown, uh, had done for David, for Solomon and his people Israel. So here we have the Feast of Tabernacles associated with the completion and the dedication of the temple. The temple that David had desired to build, the Eternal said, no, your son Solomon is going to accomplish that. And so we find uh, the dedication of the temple referred to in First Kings chapter 8, a very long chapter of 66 verses, but given in, in some detail there. And we also find the, uh, the account here in Second Chronicles, we find it uh, really starting in chapter 5 and running right through to where we've been in chapter chapter 7. So Solomon was very much involved in the building of a temple. You might say it was his crowning achievement 
the most important and most long-lasting of the accomplishments he undertook. He was associated with that, and that is very much associated with the Feast of Tabernacles, the time of its dedication. And Solomon's reign is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles as well in a number of ways. Let me give you four different ways in which Solomon's reign is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. Firstly, he was a son of David. And as a son of David, he was a type of the Messiah, the real son of David, who is going to rule over this world in the true and the ultimate Feast of Tabernacles, the world tomorrow, tomorrow's world, what it will be like. Right, so firstly, Solomon is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles by being a son of David. And many of the Psalms that relate to Solomon and Solomon's reign are really written with the true Messiah in mind. And they're looking forward to the ultimate Feast of Tabernacles that you and I desire to be part of. A second way in which Solomon is associated with the Feast of Tabernacles is in the area we've just covered, the building of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Feast of, excuse me, the building of the temple. Getting two things mixed up here. So the building of a temple is very much associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. Thirdly, Solomon is associated with a period of incredible peace and prosperity, a type of what the Feast of Tabernacles will be like. Or it didn't last as far as Solomon was concerned because he didn't have access or did not use the power of God's Holy Spirit to focus his attention and focus his efforts on a truly godly purpose. And eventually it became a matter of vainglory and pride for Solomon. And he forgot the one who had made him and the one who had given him everything. But the peace and prosperity that existed in the early part of Solomon's reign is a type looking forward to what will happen in the world tomorrow. And the fourth aspect of Solomon's association with the Feast of Tabernacles is that one of his books, the book of Ecclesiastes, is read at the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's have a look at these four points. Firstly, the son of David. If we go back a few chapters into First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 29, we find that David is uh, proclaiming the uh, future for Solomon, what will happen in his kingdom, Solomon to be king in his place. We find in verse 1 of that chapter, he said, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the eternal God. So here we have uh, David declaring that Solomon, his son, was to be king. 
a very young man at that point in time, inexperienced in the affairs of state, in running a country, but yet charged with a very great commission to build a temple for the eternal God of Israel. Very important point to us to remember. And so we have, during the time of uh, the, the reign of Solomon, the building of the temple and a very great undertaking that was. We find the second point then picked up for us in verse 19 of chapter 29. So we can just go down a few columns. And in verse 19, David prays and says, Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. Give him a loyal heart to do these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And so David had made provision for the building of the tabernacle. He was not allowed to build it himself, but he had made the provision so that his son Solomon could do so. And part of Solomon's reign, you might say the very important part of Solomon's reign, even from David's perspective, was the building of the tabernacle. excuse me, of the temple. The third aspect we talked about was peace and prosperity. And so we find once again in verse 25 of the same chapter, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 25. So the eternal exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. You might say, well, there would only be two kings beforehand, David and Saul. But the eternal built up Solomon in a very special way, because, of course, at first he sought the wisdom of the eternal. He sought to do things according to the law of God. And the consequence of that was that he had peace and prosperity. And... uh, We find it carries on, it said, verse 26, Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he, well, excuse me, we're talking of of, uh, David there rather than Solomon. The fourth aspect then was the fact that the book of Ecclesiastes was read at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now for us in our Bible today, Ecclesiastes is wedged between the end of the book of Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. Both books that we seldom reference. Uh, One may carry on from reading the book of Proverbs into the book of Ecclesiastes. But in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, Ruth and uh, Esther and Lamentations are part of a small collection of books called the Megaloth, which is the festival scroll, because these books were read at the three major pilgrimage festivals of the year. And the book of Ecclesiastes is read at the Feast of Tabernacles time. And so at the feast, it's perhaps an appropriate thing for us to consider some of the things that the book of Ecclesiastes say. 
I'd like you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Because this particular chapter, the few verses here, highlight the point that uh, I'm wishing to convey in the sermon. And so in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon records, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. In these uh, first three verses, he gives us a number of opposites. There's a time to be born. The antithesis of dying, isn't it? The beginning of life as opposed to the end of life. A time to plant as opposed to a time of reaping. Once again, the opposite ends of the spectrum. A time to kill as opposed to a time to heal. And eventually he talks about a time to break down, to demolish, and a time to build up. Once again, the opposite end of the spectrum. Of course, he goes on and talks about a number of other areas in which uh, this is to be the case. But these are structured in a particular way for us to realize that there is particular responsibilities to be done. If we go back to chapter 2, chapter 2, and pick it up in verse 3, Chapter 2 and verse 3, he said, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding it, guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So he's looking to see what is the purpose for humanity. What have I got to do with my life to make it accomplish the goals of our Creator? What is it that we should be doing? He said, I made me, in verse 4, I made me, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. It's rather interesting because if one looks at the remnants of Solomon's reign, we can see part of the platform on which the temple of Solomon was built. It still remains, although it still remains in photographic form, uh, to this day, and people have been able to identify the platform upon which Solomon's house, or house for God, had been built. How obviously, it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and then rebuilt under the direction of, of uh, Zerubbabel, and of course the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, and then expanded and embellished by the Maccabees, and ultimately by Herod the Great. 
and then destroyed by the Romans. So that all that we have today, uh, the ruins and the location of that temple. So we have an insight into some of the building that he undertook. You might say some of the most lasting building he undertook. He talks here about making himself water pools. And anyone going to Israel today and going down uh, towards Hebron will undoubtedly see the great water pools that are associated with Solomon. And uh, one can see those and one can marvel at those and appreciate the, the, the veracity of what Solomon is saying here. So what does God's word then say about building as far as the Feast of Tabernacles is concerned? We can look at what Solomon did. We can look at what Solomon claimed. But what does the Eternal say himself about the building in the Feast of Tabernacles? Let's go across to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 And we'll see that uh, the uh, imagery that Solomon has been using in the book of Ecclesiastes carries right on into the Feast of Tabernacles. Of course, chapter 58 of the book of Isaiah is really about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement precedes the Feast of Tabernacles. So, at the time of the Day of Atonement, when we look at Satan being bound and removed from influencing this world, what is it that we're looking forward to? And chapter 58 also enables us to see that. And so he tells us that if we have the right attitude towards fasting, verse 11, the eternal will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. What have we just been reading about in terms of Solomon? Solomon built himself great poles so that he could water his gardens. Looking forward to that. And be like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. But notice verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Or as the Jewish Publication Society translation of that said, men from your midst shall rebuild ancient ruins. You shall restore foundations laid long ago, and you shall be called repairer of fallen walls, restorer of lanes for habitation. And so there's an aspect there of being able to restore and rebuild what has been destroyed. Is this world going to suffer great destruction before the Arrival of the Feast of Tabernacles. Satan in his last efforts to prevent the establishment of a kingdom of God will stop at nothing. And Jesus Christ will have to return with great power and uh, fight against Satan and his ways. The end result will be great destruction. 
And the world tomorrow is described in terms of rebuilding on those foundations. Rebuilding material. Chapter 59, the very next chapter of Isaiah. Chapter 59 and verse 8. The way of peace, describing the situation of the world today, the way of peace they haven't known. They just don't get it. They can't comprehend it because they don't see anything in it for themselves. There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. And whoever follows it will not know peace. Why do we have the problems in this world today? Verse 8 tells us why. Because people have rejected the way of peace. And they cannot have peace in this world. They've made themselves crooked paths. Notice one of the things of the world tomorrow is going to be the restoration of paths in which people can live. Jeremiah. Turn over to the next prophet, Jeremiah, chapter 6. And let's pick it up in verse 16. He said, Thus saith the Eternal, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Go back and find something that produced welfare and benefit for humanity, and walk in that way. There's only been one time in which that's existed, and that is when people have obeyed the law of God. He said, you'll find rest for your souls. But the people of Jeremiah's day said, forget it. We're not going to walk that way. It doesn't enrich us enough. It doesn't enable us to get what we want for ourselves. And yet here we have an insight into what the future is going to provide. David understood very clearly that the law of God was a light to the path we are to live. And so he talked in Psalm 119, verse 105, about how the law, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Humanity rejects that at this point in time. As a result, they follow crooked paths. Isaiah chapter 58 tells us we're going to be involved in restoring the right paths for humanity to live in. And of course, that's not just reconstructing streetways, so to speak, but is also teaching the way of God. It talks about education. It talks about all of those things that go with a society which is based upon the law of God. There will be schools. There will be places for people to congregate. The whole focus of the community will be upon the law of God rather than upon selfish or profit motives that society operates upon today. And so we go back to Isaiah chapter 61, just shortly after the chapters we've been in, in chapter 58 and 59, 
He talks about in verse 4 of chapter 61, he said, they shall rebuild the old ruins. So once again, we come back to the same place of rebuilding on those fallen foundations. They'll raise up former desolations. They shall repair ruined cities. So these cities will be repaired and, and uh, rebuilt in an appropriate way. And the desolations of many generations. He said in verse 5, Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of a foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And uh, he said, You'll be called, be, be named the priests of the eternal. You'll eat the riches of a Gentile, and their glory you shall boast. Why? He said, uh, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. And, of course, ours as well, because we will be the ones who will be teaching them how to live a way which is going to bring this wonderful situation for them. Amos chapter 9, another scripture which uh, uh, ties in very much with this aspect of building. The last chapter of the book of Amos, chapter 9 and verse 11. <clears throat> he talks about how the uh, Israel is going to be scattered. And uh, then in verse 11, he said, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Eternal who does this. So here we have a number of scriptures which talk about our role in the world tomorrow of building and how this aspect of building in the world tomorrow, in many ways, is reflected, reflected in the building program that Israel had to undertake in the first place when they built their sukkah on the first day of the feast. They looked back, but the Bible also shows a future application of building in the world tomorrow. Uh, let's go back to Second Chronicles. We have already uh, looked at this, but let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter eight and verse sixteen and remind ourselves of this particular verse, because here we are at the Feast of Tabernacles and the uh, the glorying over the building of a house in chapter seven, and then in chapter eight and verse sixteen, it tells us. Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the foundation of the house or from the day of the foundation of the house of the eternal until it was finished. So it was all well organized. It wasn't a haphazard make-do undertaking. It was well planned out. And it said in verse, the end of verse 16, the house of the eternal was completed or as another translation, the Tanakh says, the house of the eternal was completed to 
perfection. There was something very good about it. Something very pleasing. Something very honorable. And so in terms of the Feast of Tabernacles, we can look back to temporary dwellings and we can look forward to rebuilt temporary dwellings. Because, of course, everything that is rebuilt in the Feast of Tabernacles only has a limited life of a thousand years because, ultimately speaking, it will all be replaced. It is still temporary, even although it will last for a very long time. And, of course, for people in the United States, that sometimes is a very difficult concept to get your minds around because this country has only existed for less than 300 years in terms of as a nation or in terms of population and being populated by Europeans uh, some 400 years, a little over 400 years. (coughs) So an idea of buildings being built to last a thousand years may be strange. Maybe that's one of the reasons that so many American tourists go to Europe to see some of these buildings that have been built a long time ago. Like parts of the Tower of London that were built in the uh, 12th century and so are almost a thousand years old to this day. Uh, properly maintained and kept so that uh, they are able to last. But let's turn this from the future to ourselves today. What does it say about you and me? in terms of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Apostle Paul makes an interesting comment that applies to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we read this at the Passover time because it's highly appropriate, but I think it's also appropriate in terms of the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 8, he deals with things being offered to idols. Verse 1, he said, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge, he says, puffs up. But love edifies. He sets out two diametric opposites. Just as Solomon was setting out diametric opposites when he talked about birth and death, planting and reaping, destroying and rebuilding. All of these things are opposites. And so the Apostle Paul does the same thing here. He talks about knowledge puffing up. And of course, we focus on that in terms of the days of unleavened bread. Because leaven puffs up. That's what makes a lovely, crusty French loaf of bread. It's a leaven in it. It puffs up. And in bread, that can be wonderful. But in terms of human life, It's disastrous because it will lead to destruction rather than to eternal life. Love puffs up. Okay, so rather knowledge puffs up. Uh, We can look at something like an inflatable uh, device, an air mattress. You can have a nice temporary bed. But if you sleep on it too long, what happens? Somewhere along the line the air starts to find a weak point in the latex and it starts to leak and it loses its substance, 
so to speak. It becomes flat, like a flat tire. It is not lasting. Uh, You can blow up one of these beds, these temporary beds, and leave it. Come back in a month's time. Nobody slept on it. No pressure has been put on it. And you can guarantee it will not have the same pressure that it had initially. It will have lost some of the pressure that you put into it. And I make that comment because Paul contrasts that with love edifies. And we think of the word edifies and we think, well, that's something that does good. But bear in mind, the word edify comes from the same root as the word edifice. What is an edifice? An edifice is a building that has lasted. We want great examples of edifices. Think of the pyramids in Egypt, built perhaps as tombs for the kings, for the pharaohs. Several millennia ago, three millennia, four millennia ago, as the case may be. And they have lasted the ravages of time. And they still stand there, pointing towards the sky. Oh, yes, their surface has been eroded and uh, the uh, stones have become defaced in some ways. But the building still remains. What is in the center of it is still solid. It is an edifice. And so people go around the Middle East and they look at these buildings. We look at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Been that way for probably over 2,000 years now. It is an edifice. What was on top of it has been totally removed. There's no remains of it left. But the platform on which it was built is still very solid and dependable. And people go up and stand underneath those walls. And you can see, you've seen photographs of the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, where Israelis go and or devout Jews go and pray without any fear of the rocks at the top falling down on top of them. Because it is an edifice, it is strongly built. And when we talk about love edifying, love is building up something which is durable. And that's the important thing about Paul's statement. Knowledge simply produces something which is transitory. Godly love, on the other hand, produces something which is enduring. And it is going to endure for longer than the Temple Mount, longer than the pyramids, longer than any other edifice that you wish to consider. Because the durability of godly love is eternal. It is unending. It will not be destroyed by the fire with which this earth is cleansed at the end of a great white throne judgment. It will outlast that and will live on and exist on throughout God's kingdom forever and ever without question. So uh, the aspect of edify is a very important point here. It is something that's made strong. It's durable, in other words. It's not going to disappear uh, very quickly. 
And, of course, it is built on a right foundation. So what about us as we keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Let us ask ourselves, what are we building? Now, many families keep the feast by a seaside. Many feast sites by the coastal waters. Little children love to go down there and play on the beach, which is highly appropriate. And probably with their parents, they build sandcastles. And you know, each and every one of us, whether we're built a sandcastle or not, know very clearly how long sandcastles last. They're very transitory. The next tide comes in, and by the time the tide recedes, there is little, if any, sign of the sandcastle that may have been built there in the hours before the tide came in. And it doesn't matter how elegant or how big or how robust you make the sandcastle. The tide comes in and takes it out. And there's nothing left of it. It's gone. Sandcastles. Great example for us of the transitory building that can be our lot in life. What are we really building in terms of our lives? Well, we're in Corinthians, so let's move back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I have right here in front of me. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, or verse 9 rather, he said, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field You are God's building. All right, what is being built within me? That's a question I have to ask myself. That's a question you have to ask yourself. As we keep this Feast of Tabernacles together, what is being built within me? He said, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But he said, let each one take heed how he builds on it. For of no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Yes, and being, keeping the Feast of Tabernacles wherever you might be, and for whatever reason you might be keeping the Feast in the way in which you have to this particular year, you are building on a foundation. You have accepted the foundation that is laid of Jesus Christ. If you hadn't accepted that foundation, you wouldn't be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. Certainly not in the way in which we are keeping it together now. So you've kept that, you've, you've recognized that foundation that on which we have to build. And Paul goes on in verse 12, he said, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Paul is telling us, we can build something which is permanent. We can help build an edifice. 
we can have the love of God very much part of our thinking and our appropriation, our way of life. Or we can be building something which is purely based on knowledge, which literally, for want of a better term, puffs up. Because once fire is set upon it, it will turn into ash and will be no more. Simple as that. And he says, you've got the right foundation. What am I building on it? Am I building something which is truly permanent? Or am I building something which in many ways reflects the old life from which I've come, from the temporary dwellings of the past, or the temporary dwellings of the present? The gold, the silver, the precious stones are all able to withstand the heat of a fire. Gold and silver will come out of that fire better than they went into it because it's a means of removing impurities from it so that it becomes even more pure. And so he carries on in verse 14. He said, If anyone's work which is built on it endures, if a person has been building an edifice by making sure the love of God is part of their lives, he will receive a reward. He'll have a place in the kingdom of God. And he will be involved in helping build, helping others build their lives on a sure foundation. And he'll be teaching them and she will be teaching them the ways in which others should walk so that they can build on that right foundation and they can honor and glorify God in all that they do. On the other hand, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. Everything we're built to date on a right foundation, but it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be no more. And we're going to have to start again, and uh, so forth. In verse 16, he said, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And we go back to Solomon, don't we, in the, the, the building of the Feast of Tabernacles. What are we building now? As a group of people appearing before God, what is uppermost in our mind? Are we building that temple in which God's Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, can come and reside to rule humanity? Is that what we're involved in building? Or are we building a sandcastle that is going to be obliterated by the next incoming tide? We have to think of these things because when we think of building, it's so easy to think in terms of stones, in terms of precious metal, precious stones. We can think of architecture. We can think of workmanship. We can think of all of these things that go into a physical building. But there's one point we always have to remember, that the physical things that we might do, the physical things we might build, 
can be to the glory of God. But ultimately speaking, they don't impress the eternal as much as something else we can do. Isaiah chapter 66 and uh, verse 1. Isaiah was told, he said, Thus saith the eternal, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Okay, so let's let's just get things in context here. In terms of God's sight, how significant are we if the earth is his footstool? There are six billion of us clambering around on his footstool at the present time. Hmm. If you have a footstool at home, just imagine how small six billion somethings would have to be to fit on your footstool. They would be so insignificant that you wouldn't see them at all. The eternal said, let's get juxtapositions right here. The heavens are my throne. The earth is my footstool. And your part, you're less than a tiny ant scurrying around on the surface. We're very small. And so he says to us, with that in mind, stop and consider, where is the house that you'll build me? Now, I know he had Solomon build him a house. He instructed Moses in the first place to build the tabernacle so that he could dwell with them. David was allowed to prepare for the temple that Solomon built so that the Eternal could dwell amongst them and be with his people. The Eternal wants to dwell with us as well. And he said, what is it that you're really going to do to impress me? Now, the world was stood agog at the, uh, the wonders of Solomon's temple. The Queen of Sheba came to talk with Solomon about what he had done and all of these wonderful things he had accomplished, the wisdom he had accomplished. People were amazed. They looked at it. And the Eternal says, not really anything. Because you didn't make one simple piece of it. I made it all. And you have just cut it out of the hills or mined it from the rocks or fashioned it from the timbers, cedars or Lebanon, whatever the case may be. You have applied a few finishing touches here and there to the materials that I made. And he said, you can't really impress me with physical materials. Physical materials are not what it's all about. Something else is. He said, all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Eternal. All those things are part of my creation. I ordered them. I ordered them for your benefit. I created them so that you could use them. And I created your mind so that it could understand how to use them. But he said, to this one will I look. This is what I'm really looking for. On him who is a poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the person that I'm looking for. 
Why? Because you see, this person is building, as Paul might say, with gold, silver, and precious stones. Things that are going to remain and endure the test of a fire. Something that can be dedicated to the work of God. The work that he has in mind and he has planned out in terms of the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and on beyond that, of which we know so very little. He said, this is a person I'm looking for. This is the type of person that I'm looking for who is building something of real value to me. And we might characterize that, we might call that character. We're building the very character of God. And he's concerned about that. He wants to see that character built within us. And so as we come before us at the Feast of Tabernacles, we might ask ourselves, why are we here? We started the Holy Days by keeping the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. Getting the leaven out. Of realizing that a puffed up shape, a puffed up condition is of no value to the eternal. We come to the end of God's holy day plan and we're concerned about the same thing because now we're concerned about what are we building with? Something that is destructible or something that is going to be eternal? We can look at it in terms of Israel keeping the feast, building themselves sukkahs around their properties. Sukkahs in which to sit and have meals, maybe sleep during the Feast of Tabernacles time. And once the Feast of Tabernacles came, it disappeared. It was rubbish. It was burnable or compostable, whichever way uh, people looked upon it. And of course, some of it was edible. The fruit was edible and probably got consumed during the free Feast of Tabernacles. So at the end of it was nothing left over. But the Eternal wants us to be concerned about building in a way in which something is going to be left over. Something that is going to be left over to the honor and the glory of His great name. Something that He can use, firstly in the millennium, to help rebuild this world, rebuild this world based on those right paths that we read about in Isaiah and Jeremiah, where people will live in accordance with the will of God and the law of God, and they will reap the benefits of it. But that comes about, brethren, that role comes about because we are building something that is going to be edifying to our life and the lives of others. We are building something based upon God's holy, righteous character. And so as we keep the Feast of Tabernacles, we have to ask ourselves, what are we building? Is what is being built in my life for an eternal purpose, something that the eternal can use for the rest of eternity? Or am I simply building something that is going to be like that sandcastle that can be washed away by the next incoming tide and ripped out to sea by the outgoing tide so that no sign really exists of it 12 hours later? Or is it going to be something that is going to be 
eternal. The Feast of Tabernacles is associated with building. What are you building? What am I building? May it be that we are building something that is to the eternal glory of our Father and His Son. Enjoy the feast.